Looking to be more nomadic and less traditional? You're in the right place. Broadcasting from Canmore, Alberta, welcome to the Mountain Life Podcast. The stories of life, work, and play in the Bow Valley. Recorded in the E equals MC squared co-workplace with your host, Jason Backdash. So, I'd like to welcome Wanda to the Mountain Life Podcast. Thank you, Jason. Welcome nice to the to show. I'm excited that you're here. Uh, well, I'm excited for a couple of reasons because I think we'll have a lot of fun things to talk about, but it's also been a little while since we've connected because you've been so busy doing something for the first time that's going to be happening here in Canmore, Yeah, which I know we're going to touch on. Uh, so um, just really quickly, uh, the show format's pretty simple. We're going to touch on uh, family life. Um, so like living in the Bow Valley, talking about work, how do you actually like get your money so you could live here <laughs> and then um and then for fun because there's so many fun things that you could do obviously when you're living in this area for so sure. uh so yeah well let's let's just start with um where you're from and and uh you know are you born and raised in Canmore? nope not at all but i am an albertan girl okay so i was born in calgary and it was there till I was about four, moved to Red Deer. So I am from the lowly town of Red Deer. No way, I did not know that. <laughs> yes. Okay. I did fit in there very well, so it probably makes a lot of sense that I moved. <laughs> so um, when I was 20, I moved to Calgary and started my studies, uh, which was in communications. And then I was there until 2005. But my life just kept bringing me out to the mountains. And it had been about 10 years I was doing five days a week. Wow. here for either riding, climbing, snowboarding, you name it. And so finally a job just kind of came up that a friend's like, you need to apply to this. And this was back when we had coffee mine downtown. Okay. And all the dirt bay climbers, including myself, would go through there and get carrot cake because it was so good. And uh, my friend Tara happened to see this posting and that was it. I applied and was very hesitant to leave the current job I had because I, I did love it a lot. And um, But it was a great thing to come out move to Canmore. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so really, really different experiences, right? Like I've been to Red Deer, obviously, a bunch of times coming from Edmonton. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, and that, that town has grown, too, yeah. um, quite a bit. Um, so when you when you left Red Deer and came to Calgary, it was predominantly for school? Yeah. Okay. And then, so what did you end up doing? For school itself? Yeah. I uh, studied communications, specializing in public relations. Okay. Okay, and, and how was the program? Amazing. Yeah? It was so tough to get in, though, because okay. they only accepted 35 people back in the day, and over 400 would apply. So at that point in time, the average age of students were 28 years old. They already had degrees. They were very senior, very established, crazy smart. And then there's this younger girl from Red Deer who's got no degree and is just a Taurus. So I was like, no, this is what I want to do. Why should I go to school to go to school? That doesn't make sense. So I just kept applying and it took me three applications to get in. But okay. eventually they were just like, you are very determined. You're a good fit. You're just younger. So we're worried about that. But we're seeing the fact that you've got traits that are required in the program in order to stay afloat because <laughs> it was a very intense degree. So, so that's, oh, that's so that. good. Yeah. And when did you know that's what you wanted to do? Like, was mm -hmm. it a pretty, okay. Yeah. It took me a little bit. Um, when I first came out of high school, I wasn't too sure what I wanted to do. So I went to Red Deer College and took a couple of courses. And it was actually our class valedictorian from grade 12, who I ran into in the hallway when I was having one of those, you know, existential crisis. I'm, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? 
And so she started to ask what I enjoyed. And then I was taking an oral communications course at that time. It was my first exposure to, I loved it. It was fascinating to me. And so she started to dig in a little bit more because I loved writing so much. And then I loved community and all these different things. And she just blurts out, you should just take public relations. And I'm like, what's that? That was it. And so then I started to learn more about communications and obviously that was the path. Oh, awesome. Okay. Well, we're going to get back to that. Yes. Um, but I want to, I want to talk about just sort of your, your lifestyle here and sort of that change. I mean, your, your, your story is probably very common to a lot of people that are, that are living here in the Bow Valley where they've lived in a big city mm-hmm. like Calgary and where there's a lot happening mm-hmm. and, you're making a pretty big change to to move to camera can you can you tell me what that transition sort of looked like for you i was probably very very typical in a lot of ways um i'm just thinking about the the place i was at in the early 2000s wanting to save the world through my tummy vegetarian i'd go to dr vandana shiva water talks all the time and just get myself completely riled up about the state of the world to the point where I'll never forget this one day in 2004, being in the middle of downtown Calgary, heading in. I was heading up a charity, uh, the Kids Sport Society at that time, and was heading off to a sponsor meeting. And I just was so overwhelmed with the volume of activity, the concrete swirl that was just everywhere. And it wasn't me. It so wasn't me. I was just this little earth muffin. And... (laughs) So, <laughs> tattooed right on my back. <laughs> my birthday is Earth Day. What can I say? And so I, um, I just couldn't be there anymore. And I actually really love Calgary. I always have. I was born there, and I've got this major soft spot for it. I'm not good in cities, which is why I was constantly leaving it. So for me, that was it was a huge turning point when I started to realize I need to start to consider somewhere else. But at that point in time, I didn't know where that was going to be, and I was actually on every climbing trip. Everywhere I went, Lillooet, Squamish, you name it. I'm like, maybe this should be where I end up. But then it would rain a lot in Squamish. I'm like, oh, I hate the rain. (laughs) And then (laughs) just kind of cruising around through Western Canada, trying to see what place spoke to me. Nothing ever really, really, really dug in until I just kept obviously coming out to our backyard in Calgary, which was Canmore. And the familiarity and, you know, just the connection I have with this place is phenomenal. It's hard to put into words. And so I guess, yeah, when, when Tara found that ad for a job and knowing where I was at with everything and, you know, her and all my girlfriends had really encouraged me to apply it. Yeah, it was, it was a a very natural transition. It was a bit daunting to leave, you know, the security of a job I'd been in for four years. I was very passionate about, but the familiarity of knowing so much of, you know, the lifestyle, knowing so many of the climbers already and just having that foundation it was that part was very seamless and then half my friends are already starting to move out here at that time too oh okay very cool because i think um you know your story is really neat and i think is inspiring because you've made this choice to make like a serious life move for um some of your like personal pursuits right um so to do more climbing and to do more biking Mm -hmm. and so on but i think one of the one of the things that you sort of worry about whenever you're making a change like that is that it's like, well, I got to start 
in with like a whole new group of friends and start making friends and I don't know anybody mm-hmm. but you seem to already have like a little bit of a of a group already yeah the climbing community is really tight and at that point in time I mean I was spending in the winters five days a week at Calgary Climbing Center pulling on plastic and just you'd cross pollinate back and forth like you'd see everyone at different competitions and not that I was a competitor but I was always volunteering to judge and so then you just get to know everyone and then the climbing trips you go out to Skaha for every long weekend of the year and you know the Calgary Canmore retreat you know it was just all of us together from Calgary to the Bow Valley. And so that exposure to everyone really helped out a lot. And um, to the point where it was ironic, I was bouldering in um, Calgary at the Calgary Climbing Center one night, just on the cusp of starting to look for a place to live. And there was this teeny little thing who was climbing, you know, had no idea who she was, but we were working the same problems and same height. So we were having the same physical issues and stuff, trying to work through some of the, some of the cruxes. And she, um, yeah, just mentioned that she was from Canmore and we got on like a house on fire. I'm like, oh, I'm moving out. Next thing you know, she lined me up with people to look into a place with who still to this day is one of my best friends who I lived with. And so it's, um, I, I don't find that the, you know, it wasn't a hard transition. I didn't miss much because I really, I got to see my friends from Calgary at least every weekend. They were still coming out like the pilgrimage after work was 4.30, you're done. And you come out to Canmore and you climb a grassy and cougar or hard or wherever. And then, you know, you're doing that until like 11 o'clock at night. And then you go back home and you're really just in the city for work and for sleep. So I was still seeing all my city friends too. All right on. Okay. And then family wise, like, do you, like, do you have family still in like Red Deer and Calgary and sort of commuting kind of back and forth to see people or everyone's kind of dispersed to some extent so no one's in red deer at all anymore okay my mom and dad got an acreage that's uh, about an hour and 15 minutes north and east of red deer in the middle of absolutely nowhere okay and um so when i go to see them i drive through gasoline alley but i don't go into red deer and my brother's in edmonton so okay. there's really no anchors left in red deer at all yeah. i have got a lot of anchors in calgary however yeah okay Right on. Okay, well, let's transition a little bit yeah. and let's talk about your busy work life. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, well, so you and I had connected actually at an event and we had a common past in communications and marketing and um, we just really got along. We have like the same philosophies about uh, community and um, storytelling and so on. But um, maybe tell everybody just what you do, uh, I guess for work for work, and then, um, and then we could talk about all the other stuff that you're involved in because <laughs> okay, so there is a lot of other stuff. Yeah. I have a volunteer problem. Um, <laughs> so for work, I am a communications and marketing specialist and, uh, about 17 years in now, which is kind of scary, but, um, through the course of my profession, I've done a variety of different things, especially because I was so non-conventional starting out as an executive director of a charity. That was my first job. So oh, okay. I just learn all hands on deck, how to do yeah. kind of everything. And, um, but then there's always the fundraising, there's the, you know, board of director support. There's many other layers outside of the conventional communications or marketing per se, volunteer management. But, um, no matter what, after, um, you know, I'd done, I guess, about six years in the nonprofit sector. Um, 
the core of everything for me was still communications. And so at that point in time, I actually moved to Australia and was working with the government of Queensland um, in uh, communications, internal communications team. And because I knew that I wanted to focus more and go back to my core craft. Um, so that was probably still to this day, one of the best jobs I've ever had. Amazing team, um, really kind people, really good work. And um, that set the course for the next little while where I kind of left the not-for-profit um, and charitable sector behind and just focused on communications. But then within that position at the government of Queensland, it was actually more marketing-based. So that started to expand my reach and my skill set a little bit more into um, the blend of communications and marketing. So that was, that was a pretty formative path. And I was there for a couple of years came back to the Valley. And when I moved back, I was actually living in Banff for the first year and a half um, after I returned from Australia and the whole economy had tanked. And okay. so it was harder to actually find a job. But what I was finding when I was reaching out to my former colleagues is that there's a lot of need for consulting. So I dipped my toes into the consulting world. And that was when Aspire, you know, at that time, communications um, took flight. So that was, uh, that was a huge turning point and had to figure out a lot of stuff, but it was, it was a very formative um, fork in the road and very good experience. Ooh, so much stuff to dig into. <laughs> well, you know, I've, I've always been interested in um, sort of the international experience and, and you, you've had it. Um, did you notice, did you notice a difference in, um, sort of the sophistication or like um, just the practice of, well, I guess your craft mm -hmm. being in Australia for that, for that stint. To be honest, there's so much similarity. Okay. Our countries are unbelievably well aligned, especially as a communications professional. When I'd moved to Brisbane, they actually had a skill shortage in communications, which was very helpful for me there. Country was just exploding at that point in time. So even though I actually didn't have, you know, a visa per se to work on, I was able to get sponsored by my employer on a 457 visa, which was a very interesting experience. If you were to go there right now, you wouldn't get that okay. because there's just, there's more than enough um, people to fill the jobs, but that wasn't the situation back in 2007. So um, yeah, in terms of, um, you know, competencies, skills, crossover, bang on dialed. Um, sometimes there were a few different small things, but it was so minor that it could be you moving from here to BC, mm -hmm. here to Toronto, and probably still just see that very small shift. And then my workmates loved it when I would say apricot and stuff like that, because <laughs> they just thought that that was great. And for me, having been in the Bow Valley where we've got so many Aussies here, yeah. it was actually awesome to be on the other side of the table and be like, oh, yeah, I'm saying something weird, aren't I? Woohoo! Yeah, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> and then I got to learn about tea, about how tea is actually not just a liquid. And it's actually morning tea, afternoon tea, um, dinner is called tea sometimes. So tea was a very big cultural um, staple uh, in terms of the... Not just the liquid, but the actual, the break. Okay. And having tea, right, taking right. tea with your friends and workmates and stuff. And they were very serious about it. You don't mess with that at all. Yeah, it's a very British thing. 
I didn't Probably. find that. <laughs> you know what it is? I, I do find um, Australia a little bit more British yeah. than Canada. A little, like, they, <laughs> they really like the royals there. Yeah. Um, they pay more attention, I find, than we do. And there's a lot more coverage on the news. So that was really neat to see that we're both Commonwealth-based countries. We both have this, you know, historical lineage but how we've chunked it off is quite different and we've been highly influenced from the u.s yeah no doubt hey oh that's neat okay so so back in okay back in canada you you decide to dip your toes in consulting which is hella scary mm-hmm. um what was the first few years like like what was that just like? trying to figure out so many things scope creep with clients when you were giving out an estimate and trying to make sure that the time required in order to do the project, and a lot of it was strategic planning, mm-hmm. which can really get away from you in a heartbeat. Um, so just making sure that those timelines were managed well. One thing I really struggled with was taking time off. I'm living in the most spectacular place in Canada, and I took five days off in two years because oh. I was so worried about when the next contract comes in, when am I going to make, you know, be able to make sure that I'm going to be okay and take care of myself and just, you know, I'm I'm a pretty conservative person financially. So it was that whole, always a little bit worried about things and um, kind of went maybe on the other side of the coin in terms of being a bit too cautious sometimes and not taking enough time for myself to say, nope, more, more business will come in. It'll all be good. It was a matter of, okay, oh, here's a new client. Nope, I won't take that holiday. The Mountain Life Podcast with Jason Beckdash. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody. Just a quick message. This podcast is brought to you by E equals MC squared. Now, did you know that Canmore has a co-working space? So what that means is that you can come in and you can focus on getting your work done. E equals MC squared has meeting rooms available. It has high-speed internet, access to a printer. And I think the greatest part about it is you get to rub shoulders with like-minded people. So if you're working from home in Canmore, or maybe you're just coming through the Bow Valley and need a place to focus, I would recommend you check out E equals MC squared. Thanks. And we'll go back to the podcast. Back to the show, the Mountain Life Podcast with Jason Beckdash. In... One of the other episodes, um, we were just talking about how, especially as as like a as a business owner or as an entrepreneur, uh, you decide, hey, like I need a little bit more flexibility in my time, and I want to live in a place like uh, Canmore, Banff, or in the Bow Valley, and um, but you rarely give yourself the time to actually enjoy it. You have to be really intentional um, because I I think there's always like more stuff to do. Mm-hmm. And so for you to like blow off an afternoon and go for a hike, sometimes there's like that guilt factor that you have oh, to deal with. Constantly. Right? I think I was raised Catholic with all the guilt I wear around. <laughs> Holy crow. Yeah, no doubt. But it's, but it's, I guess, I mean, it's like a skill, like anything else. Like yeah. you learn how to um, afford yourself the time to do that. Right? And then you forget. Mm-hmm. And then you learn again. And then you forget. <laughs> And um, what, like, what's got you going right now? Like, what are you really excited about with work? (laughs) (laughs) Being done in three weeks, a huge project. And actually, 
being able to look back and reflect. Yeah. I'm really, really excited about that. Um, and then resuming my consulting because right now I've um, had to cut off all my clients because okay. I don't have time because of the major project I've been working on. Well, let's, can we talk about that sure. project? Yeah. So we're talking about the Plat Goat, right? Plat Goat Mountain Bike. Yes. Yeah. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, it's going to be super fun. Um, it's very different for the Bow Valley. Uh, however, it's extremely common down in other areas around the world, um, particularly in the U.S. And it's a non-race-based for fun festival. It's an event where everyone can come and is completely about ridiculousness. It's about demoing bikes, this huge vendor expo that's specific to mountain bike, you know, fans. And then we've thrown in a little twist with creating a regional craft beer hub that's going to host a number of vendors uh, from around the region that have been handpicked based on quality, locality, fun. So we had very, very, very specific values going into this project and wanted to make sure that those resonated across all different activities. So um, that's totally your strategic planning side I right know. there. <laughs> such a strategic geek. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> So yeah, so Guilty is charged, and now there's 17 moving parts, um, 50 vendors. We met our goal. and um, Oh, wow. That's great. Which is phenomenal. And um, I just spoke with Mike, who's the founder of the Sedona Mountain Bike Festival, the other day, and um, he was he was just fantastic with giving perspective. And I have to say that the uh, way that the industry has been so collaborative and supportive on my millions of questions as I've been doing research for two years. I am so grateful for them with their time, whether it was Crankworks or Sedona Mountain Bike Festival or Trans Rockies or whomever. People have given a lot of their time to help me make sure that I've got my eyes dotted, my T's crossed because, you know, this is on my back. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you've got that much at stake, you want to try to do it really, really well. Yeah, and this for you, I mean, it's a passion project. I mean, there's no, there's no, there's not a lot of money no. in events like this. No, there's not. So, like, how did you fall into it? It's all Fruta's fault. I was on a mountain biking trip down in Moab, Fruta and Grand Junction, after leaving a corporate job with the city of Calgary. And um, was just trying to figure out what my next steps would be. And Jamie, my fiance, and I were on a day off, and yeah, we were in Grand Junction. It was just days before the Fruit of Fat Tire Festival was going to come in, and we unfortunately had to leave the day before it, it launched, which okay. just about killed me. But there's nothing you can do with timelines sometimes. Yeah. And um, I was really struck and blown away with the energy in the communities because of this festival. The... Um, way that everyone was rallying and collaborating i'm my huge community oriented mm -hmm. person i just i get highly inspired when i see community come together and um yeah it was mind-blowing what i was seeing go on there in colorado and um it was one little question when jamie and i were on oh, it's so cliche on a brew pub patio of course mountain bikers take their break and they go to a brew pub patio and I was lamenting about the fact, why doesn't, you know, the Bow Valley have anything like this? Blah, blah, blah. And Jamie just calmly, quietly turned to me and said, I don't know, miss. Why not? Oh, wow. Okay. Issuing the challenge. Well, and also 
knowing that the skill set, my whole background, yeah. whether it was on the not-for-profit management side, whether it was on the events, the communications, the marketing, all of these different pieces, uh, partnerships, you know, I never imagined actually doing something like that though, but <laughs> now here we are. Yeah, that is so cool. I mean, so, I mean, the little that I've worked with you uh, and, and I've gotten to know you in the last little while is that this event's almost like a perfect, perfect kind of example of all the things that you're passionate about and all of the things that you're good at all sort of coming together all in one place. Right. So, um, any, is there any like sort of last kind of little things that you got to tie up still with the event or is stuff pretty much ready to go? We're very close right now. We're just the only last bit to tie up is the remaining volunteers. Okay. It takes a lot to heavy lift something like this. And on Saturday, we need 70 volunteers. Wow. So that's the only piece where we definitely have a really strong core. And it's a regional festival that happens to be hosted in Canmore. So that's one thing that's fantastic is we do actually have volunteers coming from as far as Edmonton, Red Deer. Um, you know, so there's there's support. And this doesn't get downloaded onto our immediate community um, per se. Certainly, we've got a lot of core supporters here locally. But um, it's a bit of a shared resourcing scenario Mm -hmm. um which i I think is quite nice but again it's that whole community building regional you know collection pool that um seems to bring everyone in which is great and um but we still we've got some more work to kind of finish that up and then with operations there's always stuff sure yeah i'm just doing my final orders for the merchandise and everything right now and um you know these things they sometimes take six months to just get done and and then our aglc license um and the ride the rocky society papers just got formalized friday in edmonton okay which is wonderful and massive so there's there's a lot that's getting literally tied right up right now yeah that's so good yeah uh and and you were saying like just your was it a surprise to you that the sort of mountain biking community sort of came together like that to support the event or did you just know that that was going to happen if you can get um a little bit of traction well i learned through research that there was a real willingness and interest okay um because i've done two years of research yeah kind of moved around north america and all around the region reached out to mountain bike alliances all over alberta from tiny little towns to you know urban centers you wouldn't traditionally expect to have major mountain biking hubs like edmonton having the largest network of single track for any urban area in north america wow okay crazy 200 kilometers of dirt nobody knows that except the locals no so it this the research was phenomenal because i did i I got to learn so much from people on the ground, but also the more that I was trying to piece together where there was a need, what um, model and um, kind of strategic structure, I guess, would would help actually make something like this viable. Mm-hmm. That's where um, I saw that there was a lot of interest. That yeah. was it was through that process, and so then um, after that was validated, um, then it was the next steps in terms of okay, so because through that research, I got a lot of people going, Oh, I wonder if we could, Ooh, maybe we can. Ooh, what about this? So the actual list of ideas is too big. We actually had to pare it down a lot for the first year to make sure that it was 
possible to meet our goals for quality um, because we could stretch ourselves so thin with all of the points of interest that, you know, then you're not serving anybody. But um, the great thing was to see that there was a lot of growth possibility that also how passionate people were when, for example, in Calgary, met with a group called the Flannel Crew. And they are a bunch of passionate riders who they're not paid for any of what they do. This is just literally a passion project as well. They literally go out on the trails and just share the stoke of mountain biking with people. And it sounds so simple, but it's hilarious because they actually, they're great at it. And so we got together and had a discussion and they found out that the bike rodeo wasn't on the table for this year because of capacity. And because I was, again, being very careful with what we can, you mm -hmm. know, could and shouldn't, and maybe what would take more capacity and resources than what we'd have. And they threw themselves onto the task and said, Kate, well, we're going to help co-project lead this and we're going to come in and do it. <laughs> so when you have those types of offers and you get to see like people's commitments, even the bottle of beer sitting in front of you at Banff Brewing Company. Yeah. This was their idea. I didn't ask that at all. They were just like, oh, I wonder if we can do a signature beer for you. <laughs> for, for real. Oh, that's amazing. And this is so great. I mean, so, listeners can't see this, but I, you brought me this wonderfully branded plaid goat beer, and it's from the Banff Brewing Company. So you're saying this was the 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 flannel guys idea for so the road for the, for the rodeo. Okay. And then the beer was the idea, the red ale from Banff Brewing. Company. Oh, right on. Okay. And so it's just really cool collaboration, right? Between it just keeps like, coming yeah. together. It's, it's been amazing. And, um, we've actually got members of the Edmonton mountain bike Alliance and Calgary mountain bike Alliance coming out and doing group rides during the event. It's just, that whole vision um, of everyone coming together, it's happening. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Okay, when is the event? June 23rd, 24th, and 25th in Canmore at Centennial Park. Okay, exciting. Uh, okay, before I let you go, I want to cover you personally. What do you do for fun? So, I mean... <laughs> not right not, now. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of time now, but... Uh, so, well, you're a climber and you're a mountain biker. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. Like, how did you get into it? Um, are you still doing it a lot? Mm -hmm. What do you look forward to? Um, I climb less now than I used to. Climbing used to be my everything. Um, but I had a huge accident in New Zealand, shattered my ankle, broke my tip fib, compound fracture, long line rescue, all of that fun stuff. Ooh, okay. So after five surgeries and fusing my ankle, it's actually just more challenging for me to do some of the stuff I used to. So I sold my base climbing gear and my mountaineering gear because, um, you know, me being on a tilted ledge or something like that can actually be hard on the joints or whatever. There's so many other things to do, which is no problem. So then I just kind of switched gears and started to pick up mountain biking more and more and more and more. So, um, I guess right now in my free time, I like to practice wheelies. I like to, you know, ride pretty technical terrain. I, I really like the mental challenge of that, which is very similar to a climbing mindset, figuring out the problems, figuring out the right lines, uh, body movement, position, um, you know, flow with an activity. So it's, and, and the social aspect of both sports is absolutely awesome. However, then you also get that isolated time as well within each of the sports, which I love. So it's, it's a, those two are just amazing activities, such good compliments 
to That's interesting. Well. I've never thought of them as being parallel like that, but that totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you have to be on, there's moments when you're on your bike going so fast through the forest, it feels like star Wars. And I love to see how like the mind and the body come together to help you navigate and pick your line and just move and flow and nothing else in that moment exists except maybe bear calling and stuff like that because that's how you roll here. But you know, you're just, you're so, you're so in the moment. And um, the same thing happens with climbing. If you're at a crux and you're trying to figure out what your next step is and it's a matter of taking a big whip, you know, big, like, you know, lead fall or something like that. And um, you have to be committed to those moves. You, and same thing, even with riding, you have to be committed to a line. So I really, I tend to like the nature of um, more technical mountain biking. But that said, if a friend who's, you know, just been getting into it or maybe just dances around a little bit here and there wants to go out, I am never going to be the girl who's like, no, I have to go be fastest in the pack because that's not how I roll at all. So, um, yeah, there's a lot that I find the activities offer and, and I really look forward to the whole combination of, you know, the, the mental, physical, social, like all of those points of wellness that you get out of it. Yeah. Did you find it hard to pick up and like when you decided to get into it or? Oh gosh, I was the most, oh, no cardio background at all. <laughs> I almost threw up on my first ride because the guy I was dating at the time who actually just sponsored the festival <laughs> after so many years. He probably feel some guilt. Maybe. <laughs> and so we went up Prairie View Jewel Pass. And of course, like I get clipless pedals right away. So I'm locked into my bike. Oh, wow. Okay. It is a grueling climb. Yes. So, you know, you're grinding away. And, and I, again, no, no base for this at all. I was a snowboarder and I lifted weights. Yeah. I did not have good lungs. Whoa. So it took a while. And, um, I realized that the first three weeks of each season was really just going to kind of be a small form of hell. And <laughs> then you get over it and it starts to feel better. Just like your bum. When you sit on your seat for the first little while, you're just like, ouch, sit bones are not happy. Oh, I know. But that's the reality of our sports. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. I lent my, I lent my mountain bike to a friend because I, I wasn't doing any riding. And then I came back with like a little, like, um, butt cushion you know like those little seat cushions <laughs> and i'm like man like you know you just needed to do a few more sessions it would have been okay <laughs> oh but it's like a must right oh, like, that's awesome if you're not doing it often right it's yeah. so true yeah you gotta break it in every year um any favorite spots wanda mm, yes razor's edge and prospector okay yeah i probably prospector first so just because it's such a beautifully built trail um built by an amazing man it you know he's not here with us anymore but everything that he put into that trail that the community supported him through that the terrain itself lets you experience it offers something for everyone and just such great use of what mother nature's given us wow okay. oh so much fun that sounds awesome uh -huh. do that. yeah you've not <laughs> no well we've got a date ahead in july i tell you <laughs> yes please. that sounds awesome yeah um okay well wanda this was so so much fun uh before i let you go how do i get people who want to get in touch with you connected in terms of plaid goat stuff i'm very easy to find you can google plaid goat or you can just put in www.pladgoat.ca or all of our social media and uh, very very easy to find lots of advertisements around so 
I am sorry if you actually search us once because you will be followed all over the place from online marketing. (laughs) (laughs) But that just makes sure that you know that it's coming up so that everyone can come because, again, it's newer to the area and um, there's a lot of energy, but we do want to make sure that the message is out, that everyone can come participate to this one. And it's it's going to be a must-attend event for sure. Oh, that's so good. And I'm super pumped to just see this thing grow and evolve. And yeah, I just know your vision for it. So I'm excited about that. Thank you. But also it will live on through the regional trails fund that we're building too. So then we'll actually get to give the grants out, you know, in the summertime after we collect the funds for the mountain bike alliances. And so it actually has legacy as well. That's really meaningful. And that piece is so exciting just to see similar to the kids sports society that I used to run. It'll be a similar granting scenario. So we'll actually be able to keep the vision for plaid goat moving into the community through those grants. That's so good. Yeah. That's so good. Well, thanks for being on. Thanks for your time. Thanks so much for listening to the Mountain Life Podcast with Jason Beckdash. Don't forget to rate and review this episode if you enjoyed the show. And you can find more great content online at themountainlifepodcast.com. We'll catch you next time.